some uniquely unqualified to give any advice to pastors and how to preach or teach them a decade away from being spiritually mature enough to be a pastor. And the more I study that and the more I'm discipled, the more I understand that and I'm cool with that. There is a few things that the Lord has uh, taken me through where I can provide some input. And I want to do that with pastors and, and people who go to church and congregants of churches because culture is very, very powerful. This is a woman worth about 12 million bucks describing her oppression. I don't know <laughs> what uh, music video for good means, but I do know what your vote means. And that's a f lot. Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. So remember when you're voting for your favorite artist, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the changing meaning of words and to pastors, please don't ignore these memoirs that are equating Joe Biden with Jesus Christ because just like she thinks she's talking about oppression, people really do think they're talking about the same thing, the Lord Jesus and Joe Biden. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. I appreciate Soda Weight Loss, S-O-T-A, weightloss.com. I appreciate it because of the notes I get from listeners who are on the program and for whom it's working. And I appreciate the look I see in a loved one's eyes. A very close relative of mine joined Soda four weeks ago and had dinner with her last week. And it's the look in her eyes I appreciate. You know, last week, um, or no, it was earlier this week, the, the days run together. When you do podcasting, um, the days kind of run together because folks will say to me, oh, I heard your show today. And I go, oh, which one was that? Because of the time shifted nature, right? The live radio. Yes, I remember the show I did this morning because I did it this morning. Um, it's interesting that way. But earlier this week, I was talking with some amusement about the memes that the left was throwing around equating Jesus Christ with Joe Biden. Uh, and the, the, the people who run Joe Biden, Susan Rice, for instance, uh, one of the people who runs Biden, did this debt shifting. And it's a blatantly political vote buying scheme uh, to shift debt from people who didn't go to college to people who did, to people who didn't take out college loans, putting it on the back of people who did. And then I was amused because I began to see people on the left uh, equating that act with the Lord Jesus on the cross. And it was, it's desperation. And then I started thinking about when I decided to turn what I do in, in what used to be broadcasting and right now podcasting, and maybe you'll be broadcasting again soon. Um, when I decided to turn that over to the Lord, and to put God at the center, I remember, I, I remember exactly where I was. 
when I was, I was driving to the gym as I'm always driving to the gym, but I was driving to the gym and I was thinking, Lord, I'm so ill-equipped for this. Why am, why, why am I doing this? I'm not equipped to preach or teach. I've, I've not changed my opinion on that. And yet, yeah, I feel called to explore being a pastor one day. And then the Lord said to me, really? You're going to complicate this? And this is when the Lord said, look, <laughs> Satan is simply practicing intersectional politics. You get intersectional politics, right, Todd? Well, yeah, I, I get that, Lord. I get intersectional politics. And Satan's doing wedge issues. Right, I get that. Satan is pushing the Overton window open. Oh. Okay. So that's stuff I get because of the experiences through which the Lord has led me in my life. It's stuff that most pastors don't get the Overton window or intersectional politics. And why would you? So for pastors in the audience, because I know there's a lot of them and that's humbling and it's a little bit intimidating, honestly, because you guys know the Bible so much better than I do. And obviously there's congregants in the audience and people thinking of going to church or beginning to go to church. So I want to address everybody across this topic of these meme wars, because as I step back and look at this stuff, this is not accidental. This is so well distributed, this idea that this loan forgiveness, uh, that the Republicans just can't help themselves. They're, they're already called, they've been calling it loan forgiveness since it began. And even when they decry it, they use the words. They can't help themselves. They just will never understand the power of language. But the left understands the power of language. And beginning with pastors, I invite you to look again at the meme wars and, and what is actually being done and to look at it from a perspective of the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, 2. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person um, any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. So the word of God is unchanging. God himself does not change. God himself has warned us about adding to or subtracting from his word. And what are these memes doing? Well, in the addition of things political, the Overton window, and just to explain that, that is the things that you can talk about in politics is what the Overton window is. It's a, it's a theory and it's a really good one that you revolutionaries want to expand the Overton window. So the easiest example is that the idea that abortion was safe and rare, uh, and then it was safe, not rare. Now it's, uh, well, they still pretend it's safe. But now it's shout your abortion, celebrate your abortion, uh, bring friends to your abortion, have an abortion party. And they've expanded the topic of abortion from something that women reluctantly did, that they did with great, uh, great concern. 
um, that they didn't want to do, perhaps. And now they expanded into, hey, I'm having an abortion party. Come tonight. I'll bring pictures. That's the Overton window being expanded. Intersectional politics is simply creating victim groups and using people's pretend victim status, like that Hollywood star Lizzo, she's pretending to be a victim, using that pretend victim status to create of other people enemies. And then intersectional is you stack victim groups on top of each other. That's how you end up with LGBTQTC, where people who pretend to be men who pretend to be women are suddenly stacked up with men who are actively same-sex attracted. They're not the same thing. And suddenly, if you are LGBT, now, now you need to be uh, have a Ukraine flag. Uh, or you need to be pro-Palestinian. And in fact, Hamas will kill you if you're gay in Palestine, if you're not in the Palestinian territory. If you go there, they'll kill you for, for acting out your same-sex attraction. But in the United States, you end up on the same team. That's intersectional politics. What these memes are doing, and the reason I wanted to readdress this, is because I started to see these memes being more distributed. And it's, it's exactly what the left does. And what they're doing here is a version of ideological uh, demoralization. Ideological demoralization is a Soviet tactic that has been used very, very successfully against the United States. And ideological demoralization works this way. That with a constant streams of a stream of lies and criticism about the country in which you live and the degradation of education, you end up with a generation of people who are unable to defend their country in an ideological or rhetorical sense. And what that does is it works in their minds. They, they can no longer have the thought that America is a, a, a set apart as a unique experiment in governance. Unique because the United States was the first country that was created. Very few people get to create their own country. Our founders did. That was created recognizing the fact that many of our rights come just because God created us. So God crafted us. We are, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And God knows the hairs on our heads. God crafted us. He breathed life into us. He animated us. He gave us everything we need. Uh, and then we screwed it up in the Garden of Eden. But because God created us, we have these rights. And it is government's job to protect these rights. And so you get to the uniqueness of America. What, what is unique? It's that structure which leads to we are governed at the consent of the governed, which leads to compromises like the Electoral College. Why does that exist? To knit the country together. Because the founders specifically said, we do not want the highly concentrated areas to make decisions for the less concentrated areas, for the less populous states. Some people choose to live in a rural environment because they choose to farm or they choose to ranch. Other people choose to live in cities. One not, uh, not rule the other, also to distribute power. Now, for this audience, most of this is 101, right? It's, that's, that's America 101. But for an increasing number of people, they have no idea why the Electoral College exists and the left makes sure of that. 
where they pretend that the Electoral College was to protect slavery. Slavery was made illegal in the United States and a civil war fought with the Electoral College in place. The Electoral College led to that. In fact, it was Electoral College math that informed the thinking of the founders on this compromise in order to eventually end slavery because they knew they couldn't have a nation and end slavery. They'd end up with two nations at war with each other, which eventually happened. But they could do it eventually and get rid of it eventually, and they did. So the ideological demoralization works this way. Young people hear the accusations that the United States is racist and has been racist from day one. They have been taught to believe that only black people will ever take in slaves. Only America ever did it. And that no other race of people has ever done this to anybody. They don't know that African people helped in the slave trade. They don't know that African tribes took slaves of one another. They don't know that Native Americans, uh, Native Americans or first peoples, as many prefer to be called, took slaves of other, of other tribes when they warred. They don't know that there were people who were here, Chinese people who were veritably slaves, basically slaves. They don't know that there was basically slave labor with Irish immigrants and, and German immigrants. And yes, there's a uniqueness in that black people's skin is a different tone, got that. But they don't know these things. So when these charges are made and someone says, like a college professor says, this country is uniquely racist. You have kids, young people who are rhetorically unarmed, intellectually unarmed. They cannot fight back. It's just like you or I trying to get into a fight with someone who's done Brazilian jiu-jitsu for 20 years. We're going to get killed if we haven't also practiced ju uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for 20 years or are just as good at it. So that's ideological demoralization. What these memes are doing and what they're meant to do are multifaceted. And this is what pastors need to understand. The memes that equate um, the, the, the so-called college loan forgiveness with Jesus Christ are meant, first of all, as a desperation play to try to excuse this. It's meant to drive a division, but it's also meant to do something else. It's meant to doctrinally to be doctrinal attacks, doctrinal demoralization. It's meant to get into the heads of Christians or people, and this is very important. This wouldn't work in a Christian nation. This wouldn't work with Christians who understood the Bible. This wouldn't work with pastors who teach strictly from the Bible. This wouldn't work. It works in the United States because we are in a position where only 6% of people who call themselves Christians have any form of, of biblical worldview. 6%. That's the George Barna study. He does this every year. He's been doing it for decades. 6% of people who say, I'm a Christian, have a biblical worldview. So this is aimed at them. It's aimed at the soft, well, I don't want to say it this way, but aimed at people who've never gotten a proper and, and, and complete biblical education. It's aimed at the greater culture for sure. 
So the greater culture can say, oh, I hate Christians. Look how hypocritical they are. I hate them. Their religion is based upon forgiveness and, and, and they won't back Joe Biden for giving. It's the same thing. It's aimed at that. But the, the, the danger here for pastors and for congregants is it's aimed at you. It's aimed at people who are soft form Christianity. This is an example of one of these memes. This guy's name is Sean Van Gundy. Republican logic. Jesus' miracles of the loaves and fishes was a slap in the face to all the people who brought their own lunch. Now, again, you and I, from an educated Christian's perspective, can look at that and go, that's not the same thing. The Lord Jesus did not show up to deliver the Sermon on the Mount and say, wow, there's a lot of people here. Hey, uh, Peter, uh, do me a favor. Go out and get some Roman centurions and have them raid the kitchens uh, of people who have food stored and bring it here and give it to the people. That's, that's not what he did. He didn't say to the people with lunch, hey, y'all, um, I'm going to have our folks are going to come around and take that at sword point. In fact, we've got some centurions here to help us. We're going to take your lunch and give it to people who didn't bring it. That's not what he did. The Lord Jesus took tiny bits of bread, tiny bits of fish. He performed a miracle. He gave, he gave thanks to his father in heaven. He performed the miracle and he replicated, or he didn't replicate. He increased what was there already. It's the Lord Jesus saying, you have what you need, but with faith, you'll have more. Here's the tiny bits. With faith, you'll have more. And with faith, we'll feed the 5,000. He did that to show his disciples who became the apostles, many of them. He did that to show others. He did that as a sign and a wonder so that the scripture was fulfilled. He did all of that without taking anything from anybody. Now, we all get that. Except we don't all get that. When people are attending churches that do not teach of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that he is the only one who could do that, that he's the only one who could perform a miracle like that, that he is the truth, the way, and the light, that only through him do you get to God. When that's not taught, or people attend churches where it's become ecumenical, and hey, look, there's lots of ways to God. It's like a mountain. You can climb the mountain any way. Well, it's not like a mountain. It's not anything like a mountain. It's not physical. It's metaphysical. The God of the universe makes the rules. He's written the rules down and he said, don't change them and don't add to them. These are the rules. But when you have people who attend church communities who have become ecumenical and well, really we're all just one faith and we like the coexist bumper strips. Coexisting is one thing, but co-teaching is another. Memes like this are aimed very much at demagnifying who Jesus Christ is. These memes are aimed very much at this equation of taking the deity of Jesus and spreading it so thin that all of a sudden acts of government can appear to be equal to this to people who are not armed rhetorically. So it is doctrinal demoralization. And when people are not living in the word and being taught the word and being discipled and being shown what it is to live around people who live within the word, 
they don't have the arms rhetorically or intellectually to be able to respond to such things. And, and this, this leads to conclusions. Okay, it leads to conclusions in the faith, and we'll talk about that because these churches that have left the Southern Baptist Convention because they want to affirm people's sin, that didn't start with affirming sin. It, it, it's gone very quickly, but it didn't start with saying, hey, I got an idea. Let's go from saying to people, come into our church. The Lord Jesus welcomes you. We welcome you. Come in and learn how you gain life forever with Jesus Christ. Come in and be changed. Come in and be baptized and then allow the Lord to change who you are so that you become more like him. Allow him to de-emphasize your sin nature, to give you tools to deal with it so that when you sin, you repent and that you sin less often. And then in sinning less often, you become more obedient and obedience leads to this love of Jesus because you're developing a close loving relationship with he and, and the father and the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. They came and said, hey, let's soften things. Let's just soften things. We'll talk about that. But these lead to conclusions. It leads to churches that are satanic in everything but name. And these are churches that people attend and they've been conned into believing I'm a Christian. Just like people have been conned into saying, oh, well, America's always been racist and oh, socialism's never been tried. No, 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 look, look real socialism's never been tried. Real communism's never been tried. Oh, oh, Lenin, Lenin wasn't a real communist. Well, he invented it. Yeah, but he wasn't really a communist and Stalin wasn't really a communist. And, and Mao, that stuff, it's never really been tried. Well, what about Cuba? Yeah, but that wasn't real communism. These, these people have been conned into these positions and this meme structure is working. You go from, you go from people who are, are liberal, so-called progressive pastors, people with big Twitter followers, and all of a sudden, and this is the way Twitter works. This is, I am certain this is part of their algorithm that the favored stayings, the favored memes, the favored thoughts I am sure that Google juices this. This is a person named Casey. Uh, and she wants you to know that being a woman, she's a he, her. Or probably a she, her. She, she has a very small number of followers, but all of a sudden she gets 28,000 likes to this statement. It's interesting how many Christian, or pardon me, conservative Christians are angry about student loan forgiveness when their savior literally died on a cross to cancel their debts. 28,000 likes for an account with about 1,400 followers. Twitter is juicing this stuff. Casey got more likes then a blue check Stan Van Gundy and, and Stan Van Gundy has a picture. Then there's this. Raid the smile, a rainy day smile, pardon me. Jesus would have supported debt forgiveness for people making less than $75,000 for their college loans. Many rich companies got handouts from Trump during COVID. What is the, what is the difference? He writes, what is the difference? Well, I mean, the difference is very, very obvious. My point in repeating this stuff is you see how it flows down from the top and into people's minds. My concern is the body of Christ. Yeah, what is the difference? After all, Jesus is just one way to get to heaven. Maybe Joe Biden's providing us another way to get to heaven by providing this loan forgiveness. Uh, and this is the one that, that is, 
Well, this is the one that, that is difficult to read. And this is from someone named Rebecca Schroeder. Hey, Jesus lovers, isn't forgiveness a central theme of your, and, and she writes a word for excrement, blanky book club, garbage book club, basically. I worked through high school and college, but I still had student loan debt until I turned 40 years old. Wanting others to struggle just because you did means you're pretty, you're petty and you suck. Isn't exactly forgiveness, is it? Isn't forgiveness the central theme of your, of, your, of your garbage book club? No. No, in fact, it's not. The, the central theme is the forgiveness of one entity for us to reunite us with the family that was broken apart by original sin And the central theme is God constantly pursuing us when he doesn't have to, to give us something we can't earn. It's very, very different from that central theme that you hate. So to pastors, how armed is your congregation? How armed are they to fight against what is being aimed straight at the head of the church? Because ideological demoralization starts and it always contains changing of language. So they change the language because they intend to change the thoughts. So for instance, take the words of the left in relation to government. What is an entitlement? Well, that's something to which I'm entitled. Oh, okay. Why? Well, because government says I get it. Okay. So mathematically, what is, let's say, the entitlement of Social Security? Oh, well, that's money I've saved over time that the government has helpfully taken out of my paycheck. They've saved it over time. They put it in a lockbox for me, and then it grew, and I get it when I retire. Okay, so you're entitled to that. Yes. All right. Do you know that for every retired person, there are about 11 working people working to pay your retirement? Do you know that when you retire on Social Security, there's about 11 working people required to keep Social Security open? So you're retired, but you're drawing on the paychecks of 11 people to be retired. Well, I'm entitled to that. Yes, you are because the government has laid it out. Are you entitled to their labor? And I'm not blaming Social Security recipients. We didn't bankrupt that. The, the, the DC bankrupted that, but that's a word that they invented entitlement. You're entitled to this. And then by inventing that word, they get to stack around that anything they want, including massive levels of debt, which they've done. But there's other words that they change. And this gets to the heart of the attack against um, the, the, the church in America. The heart of the attack is the changing of what it means to be Christian and what it means to not be Christian. And the goal of the party is to wash those things together so there's absolutely no specialness to being Christian, even though it's the way, the truth, and the light. Hey, since we're speaking of entitlements, um, and that brings to mind retirement, I want to provide a metaphor. If you are, uh, let's say, 
running a race. Let's say that you're running, let's say, a, a, a 5K. If you're starting out in that 5K and you're trying to beat, let's say, a friend, and the first 100 feet or so, you need to stop and tie your shoe, well, it's not the end of the world. It's inconvenient, right? You're going to have to race a little bit faster to catch your friend. You're going to expend some energy depending on how quickly you tie your shoe, but you can catch up. And yeah, it's going to require some, some extra oxygen exchange, but you can catch up. Okay, got it. But what if you are 100 yards from the finish and your shoe has fallen off? Well, you can try to toss the shoe, run in one shoe. You could do that. That's probably not going to be successful. You could try to stop real quick and tie your shoe. You can lose the race. So it is with retirement. If you're 30 years out from retirement, my friend Zach Abraham at Boer Capital Management, the chief investment officer there said, hey, look, to be honest, you don't need me. 30 years out, you probably don't need me. Max out your 401k and then some. Max out your savings and then some. Pay off your debt. Then come and see me when you're 10, 15 years, five years from retirement. Get the metaphor. Because when you're 30 years old, if you're maxing out the 401k and then some, you're maxing out the, uh, the, 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 the um, you know, Roth IRAs. You're maxing that stuff out. That's, you're doing well, right? Across 30 years, Zach has said, oh, you can't beat me. Or pardon me, um, across 30 years, I can't beat you in that. Time is on your side. But when you are five to 10 to 15 years from retirement, stopping to tie your shoe could be, oh, there's a supply chain issue. That's weird. We saw that coming three years ago. Oh, look, food prices are going up. Oh, that's weird. We saw that coming three years ago. Oh, look, the 0% interest rate loans that they're providing to the uh, to, to ganged up, mobbed up companies are having an effect on inflation. Oh, that's weird. We saw that coming. It's the surprises that get you, that can ruin your retirement. So call Bulwark Capital Management. They're at 866-779-RISK. They're 100% focused on risk management. And that sweet spot of prior to retirement, 866-779-RISK or knowyourriskradio.com, K-N-O-W. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management's an investment advisor representative at Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. So this person, Lizzo, I have no idea who she is. Uh, uh, according to Daniel B. Harrison of Grace to You, she's worth about 12 million bucks, according to the Celebrity Net Worth site. I played this sound at the top of the podcast, but to describe it, this is a woman in some kind of insane gown. I, I don't know how gowns like this are made. They stand up on the back. It's, I don't know how many, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 gown. She's getting an award somewhere. I honestly, I guess I should have bothered to look up what Lizzo does. I have no idea what Lizzo does. She's a singer or video music award. I don't know, actress. I don't know, maybe all those things. And she's getting this award. She happens to be black. Therefore, she happens to be a victim, even with all those other aspects of her. I don't know <laughs> what uh, music video for good means, but I do know what your vote means. And that's a f lot. <laughs> Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. 
So remember when you're voting for your favorite artist, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. All right, so she's a singer. I, I just looked this up as that clip was from. <laughs> Way to be lazy, Herman. I just looked this up when the clip was running. Uh, so she's a singer. She's a flautist. Wow, okay, that's unique. She plays the flute. Uh, and a rapper. And, oh, a songwriter, too. And she's oppressed. And she, <laughs> she's 34 years old and worth about 12 million bucks, and she's oppressed. And all of us are saying, that's not oppressed. You're not oppressed. But it's the Overton window. It's the changing of language. It's being ideologically demoralized that people are not armed enough to say, oh, well, she's not oppressed. What do you mean she's not oppressed? She's black. Of course she's oppressed. All black people are oppressed. Culture is coming after the church. Culture is changing what it means to be Christian. And Christians are playing along. For instance, this. Mehmet Oz, who's running for the Senate in Pennsylvania against a guy who is number one, he's truly not there cognitively. I think the stroke he had really messed him up. Fetterman. Number two, Fetterman is, Fetterman, his top goal is to make sure that no one who murders anybody spends life in prison. He wants to give out needles to drug addicts, which is the first step towards legalizing heroin, and he wants to legalize heroin. Fetterman is about as dangerous as you can be. My understanding is that he lived in his parents' basement till he was 50, then he became state senator. Now he wants to be a senator. And he has the advantage of running against Mehmet Oz. And, and Mehmet Oz is a TV star worth a whole bunch of money. He's a dual citizen with Turkey, which is not a good idea to have a United States senator being a dual citizen with Turkey. He lives in New Jersey, but sort of camps out in Pennsylvania because that's where he can win. And he happens to be aligned with the Republican Party. And he happens to believe that it's a good idea to shoot little kids up with wrong sex hormones. He did a TV show about it. Yeah, it's a good idea. We should do this to kids if they're gender confused, to little kids. So Mehmet Oz is doing outreach. He went to go meet with a group of pastors and he writes, I joined clergy leaders from Southern Pennsylvania for a meeting in Philadelphia to hear about some of the most pressing issues impacting the African-American community, including inflation, crime, and education. Thank you for speaking out. I promise to make your voices heard in Washington. Okay. Number one, kudos to Mehmet Oz for reaching out to uh, some people in the black community. Uh, number two, I hope the pastor sat him down and said, hey, ma'am, we need to chat with you. Uh, God does not put people in the wrong bodies. Can we start there? I hope they did that. I, I hope they sat with him and said, do you understand the outcome of this? Do you understand that this is taking a body created by God and causing kids to hate it? Do you understand that self-hatred is anathema to God. God loves us. How do you think he feels when we hate us? How do you think he feels in a culture that says to little girls, that body's a mistake. God screwed up and put you in the wrong body. How do you think God feels about that? That's ungodly. Can you explain yourself there? And yes, that's the job of pastors. Yes, that's specifically the job of pastors when they meet with a guy like this who may well be a United States Senator. And... To criticize him in private, and if he doesn't change his ways, to criticize him in public, to criticize the position. If your church is silent on that issue, you are getting played, your congregants are getting played, and here's how. All around them in the culture, 
They're taught that when kids are confused or become rebellious about their gender, which by which they mean their, their physical sex, another trick of the left, when they're hearing all around the culture that this is what you do, there's no other approach, and their pastors are silent on this, the other side wins. When these memes come out and they're broadly distributed and they're taking the Lord Jesus and effectively taking his name in vain by comparing him to an old grifter who is both senile and corrupt, who is told to do this political ploy to benefit Wall Street and to buy votes, and this isn't approached in Christian communities? God forbid you bring politics into the church. I mean it. But to take the church into politics is quite different. And when there is a statement about Jesus Christ and a comparison to Jesus Christ, this belongs in the pulpit. Or at least in small groups and life groups. This belongs for discussion. This is what they're saying about our Lord. And it's not a water off of a duck's back because it's aimed at ideologically demoralizing people or rather doctrinally demoralizing people. Another case in point. This is from NPR in 2014. Southern Baptist leaders seek softer approach to homosexuality. Again, 2014. Some Christian denominations around the U.S. have been slowly warming to the idea of gay marriage. A few have even made an about face. Not so with the, uh, the country's largest Protestant group, Southern Baptist. The Southern Baptist Convention still preaches that marriage can only be between one man and one woman, but some pastors are softening their message. The Southern Baptist Convention held a gathering of pastors at Nashville headquarters in April for an organization that has previously uh, used opposition to gay marriage as a rallying point. Statements here from church leaders like Kevin Smith of Kentucky shocked the auditorium of pastors into silence. If you spent 20 years and you've never said anything about divorce in the church culture, then shut up about gay marriage, Smith said. Pastor Jimmy Scroggins of Florida went even further. We're all in agreement that the culture war is over when it comes to homosexuality, especially when it comes to gay marriage, Scroggins told the pastors. Well, let's take the ultimate result of this. Number one, the culture war is not a secular thing. It's not over. We know how it ends, pastor. The culture war is described in the same book that warned you about adding to or subtracting from it. It's described. It's described in Timothy. It's described in Matthew. It's described in Revelation. And it's described in detail, and we're seeing it. What's bad is called good. What's good is called bad. We're watching it happen. The Bible hasn't changed one iota. Not one. What has changed is the culture has played a trick. And this is the same trick they're trying with this silly, grifting, loan, debt-shifting technique which is if you're not with the deck shifting technique, you're not compassionate. You're not truly a Christian. If, if you don't accept sin, well, certain sins, then you're not truly a Christian because you need to accept the sins because to love someone is to accept everything they do. To love someone is to validate every single thing that they do. 
So if your husband cheats on you and he says, hey, this is who I am, your responsibility as a Christian wife is to say, yes, I accept that. In fact, I sponsor it. In fact, why don't we have that woman over to dinner? In fact, why don't we let her move in? After all, this is who you are. God designed you this way. That was 2014. Now, with Pastor Smith saying, if you've not said anything about divorce in the church culture, then shut up about gay marriage. Fine. Fair enough. Pastors should be speaking about divorce. And when are the cases, and there's very few, when you have a biblical justification for divorce. One of them is, in fact, adultery. You have, a, you have every right on, under, under the biblical law to leave a spouse in the case of adultery. That should be discussed. But the ultimate now change comes this, this. That was 2014. From USA Today in 2021, I think it's February of 2021, a Georgia church kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention for allowing gay members wants to make sure everybody's welcome. Number one, the headline is a lie. That's a lie. That's USA Today lying. There was nothing about allowing gay people to go to church or people who are same-sex attracted to go to church that led to these groups getting kicked out. I have news. Every church has people in it who are same-sex attracted. No matter how conservative the church, every church has members who are same-sex attracted. Every church has members who are contemplating adultery or who've committed it or have committed mental adultery. Every church, no matter how conservative, has people in it who cheat on their taxes. That's stealing, not just stealing from the government, that's stealing from God. Every church has this because we are all fallen people. If churches were kicking people out for contain, for, for, for having uh, acted upon sin or having it in their hearts, there would be no one. There'd be no congregation. There'd be no pastor. But that's how the USA Today lies. This is why the meme war matters. So from 2021, two weeks after being kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention, Townview Baptist Church celebrated its 32nd anniversary by formally accepting members the SBC said they should have turned away. One by one, Pastor Jim Conrad introduced seven new members, which in the Baptist tradition have to be approved by a majority of the congregation. He didn't mention that Brockton Bates and his partner Styler were gay or that another member was transgender. He didn't have to. His church knew who where they were and spent the past two years coming to terms with the, uh, the fact of that inclusion for Townsview had to look different from what was required to remain in the SBC, whose bylaws say churches which act to affirm, approve, or endorse homosexual behavior would be deemed to not be in cooperation with the convention. On February 23, the SBC Executive Committee voted to remove Townview for affirming LGBTQ members, the culmination of a two-year inquiry. Essentially, the SBCs decided that because we welcome these folks into our family, that we're no longer welcome in the family. And we're okay with that, Conrad said. We decided that is when we say everybody's welcome, that means everybody. All right, completely doctrinally demoralized, absolutely demoralized. Of course, Jesus welcomed sinners. <laughs> he, he was in the business of welcoming all of us and then saying, let me change you. Matthew didn't have a side gig when he was an apostle to the Lord Jesus of collecting taxes. He gave that up. Peter, who came from the rough environment of fishing, which in traditionally Peter's thought of as sort of a, a rough man and may have been involved in fist fights and stuff. He didn't do that anymore. 
Simon the Zealot was, was trained to be an elite soldier ready to kill for the Messiah. And the Lord Jesus said, yeah, I'm not going to need your dagger. I, I'm not, you're not going to kill people in my name. They were changed. This is ideological demoralization on the march. If your church is not explaining your views about members with same-sex attraction, that if they continue to engage in active sex with the, with the same sex, and they continue to do that, they continue to flout that, they continue to refuse to repent, the first step in the body of Christ is to privately meet with them, to say, hey, this is sin, just like adultery is sin. How can we help you gain tools to deal with this in different ways? Knowing that we love you, that we want you here, and how can we help you? And if they refuse, then it's this. Hey, listen, we love you. We hope that you'll find some ways to deal with this. We're going to pray for that. But we can't have you continue to come into church any more than we continue to have someone who's openly defiling their marriage through adultery coming into church continually when everybody knows oh you know that guy cheats on his wife right oh the guy up right right up at front yeah that guy but ideological demoralization and doctrinal demoralization works to confuse these issues to the point that even pastors give in because they're intimidated by the culture that's what these memes are hoping to accomplish So I did mention uh, at the beginning of the show, the soda weight loss program. And I was, I was, I was watching a baptism uh, recently and the pastor said, it was a little girl. And the pastor said, "Ah, are you going to let the Lord Jesus change you? And he said, and, 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 and Jesus loves you just like you are now. He, He loves you so much. And he wants to help you change to be more like him. I love the way the pastor caught himself because I know he's, he knows he's talking to a little girl. He knows that the message of, hey, well, God doesn't love you yet is not true. God does love her. Just like with extra fat in your body. Man, I, I have such experience with this given that my father just would not approach his obesity. He just wouldn't. And I think I've shared with you heartbreaking stories of, for instance, being with my father in a drugstore when a little boy who was like four or five years old was following my dad around saying, hey, fat Albert. Hey, fat Albert. Hey, fat Albert. And I didn't walk over and see anything, even though he was a little kid. I was like 10 years old. You know, I feel like I should have walked over and said, hey, that's my dad. What are you doing? Get away. And I asked my dad later if that hurt his feelings. He goes, no, I wasn't really listening. Yeah, he was. Sure he was. So I want to make something very, very clear. Um, The extra fat in your body is immaterial to who you are. Utterly. I love my dad. I miss him every single day. It's immaterial to who you are. God loves you the way you are. Yes, God would like us all to be more like him. That's the design. And the fat around your body, it's holding you back in countless ways. What's your way? Now, seriously, what is your way? Is it that you didn't go swimming this summer because you're embarrassed to take off your shirt and get into a swimsuit? Maybe you used to dance and love dancing and you don't do that anymore. Maybe you used to love a sport. You don't do that anymore. Maybe it's just 
You don't like the way you look. Maybe sleeping is hard. Maybe you snore. That's all a side effects or possible side effects of too much fat on your body. My friends at Soda Weight Loss, they're not there to judge. Most of them have been through the program. They're healthcare providers by background. They wouldn't be as successful as they are with over 7,000 Google reviews, average 4.8 stars if they were anything other than loving and direct and to the point. Here's how much fat you can expect to drop per week if you stay with our program, if you stick with it over time, here's how much that'll cost. And here's how we'll help you maintain that fat loss. Yep, once you reach your goal weight, hey, you can call them and get help the rest of your life. It's sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A weightloss.com. So all these things, all of this minor steering away from the faith, because that's what the enemy's doing. It's a minor turning from the faith. Just turn you this direction and then this direction and then this direction. Um, it bears fruit. It bears awful poisonous fruit. And it leads a nation down a path like this. You have, in the wake of the abortion ruling, you had people go take ropes and fake guillotines outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. They went out and caked themselves in fake blood. That is a federal crime. You're attempting to sway a jury. In fact, they did that before the decision because the decision was leaked and probably to give people time to go do that to the justices and to freak their families out and to scare them into doing what the mob wants them to do because the mob is thoughtless. The mob is soulless. The mob is an idea that you can't fight. You can't reason with. In the wake of that happening, the White House said very little. Oh, they put out some tepid statements and, hey, we'd prefer that you not. But Jen Psaki, who was the spokeslier at the time, they didn't say, hey, stop this. They didn't go to Merrick Garland and say, hey, prosecute this. If the White House had wanted it to stop, it would have stopped because Merrick Garland would have prosecuted it. All they would have needed to do is take the FBI or the Capitol cops or whoever has jurisdiction over that and sweep the people out of there. If they wanted it to stop, it would have stopped, but they didn't want it to stop. They wanted it to continue. Because the same technique that's being used with the churches has been used with abortion. Here's the Overton window. You remember this. This is a woman testifying in the Senate. She's a pro-abortion radical, except she's now mainstream for abortion. Then we'll wrap this up with a clip from a church that people have said, that's not real. That's not a real pastor. It is a real pastor. This is the conclusion of ideological demoralization. First of all, in relation to abortion. That all human beings are made by their creator and endowed by him with certain inalienable rights. The first listed in our declaration is the right to life. Since the medical doctor here uh, wants to deny the facts and reality, let me ask the abortion advocate, Ms. Arambide, to answer my questions on this subject. Ma'am, you testified that you are, quote, unapologetic in seeking unrestricted abortion access. So I'm wondering, at what point is it not okay to abort a child? What, what age of gestation? I trust all people to determine what they can and can't do with their bodies. Full stop. Okay. I also believe that human rights 
um, including access to the medical care, medical care that they need within their communities, is something that should be afforded everyone. Great. Okay. So you you support late term abortion? I support all people and trust. That means late term abortion. Do you support partial birth abortion? In other words, the child is half delivered, and then the woman says, "My right, I want to take that one out." You support that? I trust people to make decisions about wow. their body. Wow. Okay. What What about um? So, so abortion should be allowed then, by your definition, for any reason, for any purpose, at any stage, right? I trust people to make decisions about their body, and then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical p- practitioners. Okay. And not is, if it is. Listen, let me just ask you this question: If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a ten-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct? I believe that. Okay. That is and wrong. a two-year-old child, same thing. That would be murder. We would all agree that's wrong then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is two years old or nine months old or one week old or an hour old than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the utero? What's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases? I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop. Wow. Full stop indeed. And that describes right there exactly what this is about. There's a legal issue here, but un- underneath that is a moral issue. It's about reality. It's about science, the advancement of medical technology. You're talking about unborn children, and your, your full stop is that you will support the termination of that child at any time, and that is frightening, and that is why this decision should be turned to the popular will of the people, and hopefully they'll protect the sanctity of every single human life and live up to the standards of our Declaration of Independence. I yield back. Over to window. Churches now saying, we're going to pick some sins and we're going to say, those, those are okay. We celebrate those sins. So the difference between saying, hey, you know what? It's okay to come into our congregation and steal from, from your fellow congregants. What's the difference? I mean, these churches should just say that. If you see something that someone else has and you want it, take it. We're cool. We'll celebrate that. We'll welcome you. You're a husband cheating in your wife? Bring your girlfriend. Just bring her along. Hey, have sex in the pews. We don't care. What's the difference? Now, of course, nothing like that can happen, right? Now, it's bizarre. It's absurd. How could a church ever get that lost that something like that could happen? Uh, it's happening. Because people are afraid to stick to the word of God, because they're afraid of being disliked, because they want to sell the popular Jesus versus the accurate Jesus, it's happening. It's happening in real churches. It's happening with real pastors. And the ultimate conclusion is not that, oh, we're going to just, we're going to celebrate certain sins. The ultimate conclusion to this is a world in which there are people going to church And that church is actually satanic. It's not a church. It's literally satanic because it's against God and people are worshiping. This is a so-called pastor named Anna Sheets. And you might've heard this before. She's at First Presbyterian City Church or First Presbyterian Church of Iowa City. She's the director of Christian education. And this is what the end game of doctrinal demoralization delivers. 
This past Thursday, March 31st, was the International Transgender Day of Visibility. In the PCUSA, we welcome all of our transgender and queer siblings into this family and relationship with the Creator God. So today, I wish to pray a prayer that was written for this incredible day. Will you pray with me? Oh, God of pronouns. Nope. We give praise to the Great One, the one who was identifiable as God. No, is God, not identifiable. I am what I am, you say, the great they, the incarnate he and she, the God of trans being. Impregnating Mary, fathering God, breastfeeding God of many breasts, you shadow, you shatter all stereotypes, making every single person male and female. Directly against Genesis. Male and female, intersex, non-binary, in your image, exactly in your image. Spectrum, rainbow God, who put your promise for nonviolence in the symbol for queer love. Nonviolence. Before humanity knew, because you knew. Who had Joseph, who could not sleep with a woman. Would not. In a beautiful lady's cloak, perhaps a It wasn't a lady's color. cloak. Before we knew, you knew. God of pronouns, who said, you can call me he or she or they. Whatever makes you feel closest to me. That's God's never said any such thing. There's no indication at all that the cloak that Joseph wore was a woman's. If it had been, he would have been stoned. If he had dressed in women's clothes at that time, he would have been stoned to death. It was prior to the Lord Jesus. He would have been stoned to death. The woman was the wife of his boss. He said, how could I do this to him or to my God? Would not, no, and probably could not, no, he would not. Pastors, I am not qualified to do what you do. I may never be qualified. I have a decade of spiritual um, maturity to gain, but I can tell you this, that's one possible future for you. That's one possible future for your church. If you do not stand now against the memoirs, if you do not stand now and speak the unchanging, unchangeable word of God, that's one possible future. Because the first time you take the knee to anyone other than God, it's just going to get easier. Congregants. If you've not been made uncomfortable in church, your pastor may not be in the Bible. Because we all sin. Sometime during a church service in the past year, if you've not been made uncomfortable at a shortcoming, your pastor may not be in the Bible. I was made uncomfortable the last time this past weekend because the topic was parenting, an area in which I fell down. That's a spiritual leader of my house. I fell down. I, I slapped my face in the floor ridiculously bad. All of us together, congregants and pastors and people who look to join churches, we need to understand that Satan was the first politician 
the first one to use wedge issues and to build intersectional politics. He's doing it to this day, and he's a liar, thief, and a murderer. This is the Todd Herman Show. We appreciate you particularly sharing the show using the share button on the podcast app. Now, please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be grounded in the unchanging, unchangeable word of God.